0: This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly discussing today's cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I am Ra Pacienza, as always, joined by my co host, John Rabe, and joined once again by Lauren Cooley, who is the executive director of both the Institute for Faith and Culture and the executive director for the Center for Christian Statesmanship. And our
1: favorite regular guest, regular contributor to the program. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Uh, Lauren, you, you certainly have a, a background in uh, understanding certain cultural ideologies and different political movements throughout history. It's something that's interesting to you and something that you followed, as uh, we have as well. And one movement that we wanted to talk about today, in particular, is the current state of the feminist movement. So-
2: well, I'm happy to be here to speak on behalf of all women everywhere. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not too much pressure, right? No, not at all. Um-
0: yeah. So feminism is a term that's had different meanings, the meanings throughout history. It's meant different things in different periods of time. So uh, w- let's just start there. Let's just kind of walk through the, the history of feminism, uh, what, what, is, what it has meant uh, then and what it means now.
2: Sure. I think a lot of people have different views of what feminism is. Um, some people think of feminist movement as just women's rights, right to vote, right to you know work in the workplace and be treated the same as men. Others look at radical feminism uh, like Planned Parenthood and abortion rights movement. And I think the reason that there's so many different viewpoints of what being a feminist or the feminist movement is, is because of the fact that there's different iterations of that movement. So um, they'll teach this in critical theory. There's three different waves of feminism. The first wave was something that I think pretty much everyone at this point would agree. It was just basic uh, human rights for females. It was uh, you have the right to be treated the same as a man. Um, You should be able to drive a car and vote and hold a job. Pretty standard things, you know, in today's today's world, and I think that most people would agree with it. So on that note, everyone probably is a feminist. Um, second wave feminism was a little more progressive, um, more focused on civil rights. Um, it was more of the sexual revolution. It started to wade into. Um, abortion those types of issues third wave feminism is what you see today it's full-blown the patriarchy is the worst men hate us and we hate men Uh, i should have abortion on demand and then all the different subcategories of there's like the the lesbian movement against the straight women Mm -hmm. and there's all these factions and it there's actually an argument that there's a fourth wave of feminism or the feminist movement coming out of that and so because of that movement throughout history it's hard to define and nail down what is the feminist movement, right? I would say I'm a first-wave feminist. I definitely am not a third-wave feminist.
1: Let's talk about that a little bit, because uh, as we've discussed this off the air, too, you've, you feel like you've changed a little bit on this. I think for most Christians, uh, understandably or rightfully so, that sort of second wave feminism idea started to make people concerned about this this term feminism and the ideas that were behind it as it was so closely wrapped with the sexual revolution, uh, abortion, so-called rights. Um, you have Gloria Steinem saying, uh, famously saying, a woman needs a man like a bicycle needs a or like a fish needs a bicycle um so there was this 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 uh this sort of um well it, it wasn't anything resembling a christian view of humanity so i, I think there was a a concern about what feminism is and yet now even people who consider themselves feminists are being excluded by this this new wave of things that even doubts what a woman actually is. Where have you uh, found yourself changing on this idea of feminism and and how you even identify yourself because you're you're an accomplished woman You've, you hold a number of positions you are uh, you're out there making a difference you're out there working uh, and yet you're not certainly identifying with many of uh, what we would today, perhaps called feminists
2: sure so i mean growing up I, I never felt like i was discriminated against based off of my gender so feminism really wasn't for me just because i didn't see the need um however as i've gotten older i've watched uh, feminists attack men and attack males across the board especially american men fathers um you know husbands saying if you're i mean you see this in in culture all the time you watch a sitcom and they're if they have a nuclear family with a mom and a dad. The dad is made out to look like an absolute bumbling idiot, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the way we characterize that. If you are a man and you tell a woman any information, you're mansplaining, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm watching these people who I love my dad, my brother, my boyfriend, my pastors, my, you know, all these people going, These are good men. Why are they being attacked? This makes no sense. So I've always kind of jokingly said, but there's truth and humor. The feminist movement made me a men's rights activist, right? I'm a 30-year-old woman, and I care more about sticking up for the men in my life than feeling like they need to stick up for me. However, with that being said, in the last few years, because of the transgender activists infiltrating women's sports and women's spaces, I feel like transgender activists have made me a feminist. So think about that. Feminists made me a men's rights activist— but trans activists made me a feminist. That is the that is the, <laughs> the, the evolution yeah. and yeah. irony of, of my thought process. But it, it comes down to this. I'm the type of person, I just want to live my life. I want to kind of just do my thing, leave me alone. We can't do that because the godless radical left is constantly on the offense, on the attack, to tear down the culture, ideology, and things that we share that we love. And so we have to be reactionary and saying, okay, I see where they're going with this. So then we're going to respond with the truth. We're going to respond with what's God's design for the best flourishing of society. And so sitting on my couch, watching the news, I go, wow, Feminism made me a men's rights activist. Trans activist <laughs> made me a feminist.
0: Yeah. Modern feminism hides behind the facade of equality. Mm. So it's all couched in equality. We, do, we just want equal rights, equality between men and women. And I appreciate you bringing up the critical theory concept, critical theory, which comes out of Marxism. Really, this is just another fatal fruit of mo- Marxism, critical theory, pitting uh, genders against each other because really the, the modern feminist movement has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with, once again, just as they're pitting races against each other, they're pitting uh, genders mm-hmm. against each other as well. So l- let's talk a little bit about that. What is this subversive plot and agenda that's really kind of at stake here? If, if, if it's not about equality, then, then what really is the objective and the ultimate outcome of the modern feminist movement?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's different competing viewpoints on this. Mine is that the godless radical left wants to f- fundamentally change our country, our culture, our government. And the best way to do that is to divide and conquer. And so we've seen that with, uh, you know, grassroots organizing throughout the years. I think uh, President Obama, with his campaign, did a phenomenal job of this. But you you pit people against each other. You categorize into different groups. Um, we saw that when, uh, you know, he, he pitted police officers against um, activists. He's he pitted whites against blacks. He said, you know, this professor versus this, you know, low poverty level individual, and just continually said, divide, divide, divide. And then let me hand this out to your group. Let me hand this out to your group. Let me hand this out to your group. You start to have a a power structure where if you divide, you can control. And I think that only lends itself to this Big government, Marxist-type ideology. Um, there's other viewpoints that it's fe- the feminist movement is, is more just about trying to control and control women, not empower women for the abortion, big abortion industry. I think that's part of it. There's a, a lot of different factors and and reasons why. But I will say. There's a lot of women who are feminists, and I don't think they're trying to fundamentally change the country. I think they just bought into this lie. So there's a big difference between the ideology and then some of the women that just are activists on the street, you know, holding their protest sign.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. There's also, uh, you know, just the sort of this cultural thing that's happening, and people get swept up in it, and they think, well, this must be the right thing to do. This must be the right thing to go along with. That's what I see on Twitter. That's what I see on television, etc. cetera. Um, but you have— this interesting thing now, where you have people like uh, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books, who identifies just as sort of a traditional feminist, who is now characterized by the the trans movement as a TERF, uh, T E R F, is the acronym trans exclusionary radical feminist, and her crime in that is believing that women are actually a thing, and that it's an identify yeah that it's, that it's yes. an identifiable thing, and that it's more than just what someone internally believes in their heart that it's a, an actual objective femaleness is an actual objective thing
0: Not a social construct yeah
1: exactly mm-hmm. and so uh, as you you talked about how that movement has now pushed you back towards feminism uh, i f- i suspect some of that's wrapped up in there what w- in that sense we're all feminists if we believe that women for real are are exist and should be protected and and, and taken care of and and ha- have rights and so forth but that's actually the thing that's being sort of, uh, the the meaning of that is being milked out of this by the, the trans movement.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, you talk about J.K. Rowling. She's a classical liberal. And, and we think liberal today is, you know, progressive Democrat party. But a liberal is just kind of hands off. Li- hands yeah. off. Like I said, I'm kind of let me do my own thing. I mean, I have my opinions, but you can have yours. Uh, but I, I think with J.K. Rowling and, and good for her. She said, nope, that's crazy. That's That goes completely against the truth. I know what's reality, and I'm going to speak out against it. Um, now, she's in a position where she's got royalties and success, and, you know, she can do that without— She gets canceled. What does it matter? Everybody Mm -hmm. still loves Harry Potter. Um, But I I think you're seeing more and more people say, wait a second. I was willing to go along with this, and I was willing to go along with that, and I was going down the slippery slope. But then you put a man in a women's locker room or you take a man and have him compete against a woman in sports – what are we doing here and why, what, why, who gets anything out of that? And I think it's such a small population. That's the other thing that just blows my mind is that we act like there are so many transgender people in America or across the world. The percentage is incredibly small. So the fact that this is this huge conversation, I mean, and to, to be clear, I know a couple people who are trans and they're wonderful people. They're like I don't have anything against the individual, but when you start saying we're going to put this individual on a pedestal for the sake of tearing down everything that, that w- women have created in this space of you know female sports for example, why, why are we doing that? Why? That's not rational. It, it's you got to look at what's good for the majority, not the minority.
0: Yeah can, can both of you help me with something? Uh, help me understand. How in the world are women being honored and elevated? How how do they expect women to be honored and elevated in our cultural moment in our society when the modern feminist movement is labeling women as the victim? Uh, saying that, uh, women, uh, are, uh, basically, uh, you know, that we can define, uh, who is a woman, uh, this transgender movement that's being advanced by women in our nation, uh, women, uh, being, uh, or men being allowed to compete in, uh, you know, female athletics at the NCAA uh, level. I mean, how in the world are they saying on the one hand, we want women to have better rights and more rights, and we want women to be elevated and honored in our society. But then everything that comes out of the feminist movement is basically degrading women. Help me reconcile those two things.
2: How privileged we are that the only thing that women need to fight for now is abortion and, and trans rights. I think that tells you everything you need to know. Women, women for the most part, and granted, have I been mansplained to? Yes, it's actually happened. It doesn't happen often. Yeah. But women are fine. We're doing well. We're, we're successful. We're living our life. We're happy. Those are the things that now we go out and fight for. I, yeah. It just tells me that... By
0: painting women as the victim, this is somehow going to lead to them being elevated and honored. I mean, it's just—it's just the irony of ironies. Well, and you also you—you you have this basic definitional problem that—that that really,
1: I think there's an inherent contradiction in this whole thing that eventually has to collapse. But I, I don't know if it's going to collapse before it takes everything with it. This inherent contradiction that, um, you know, women have certain rights. Okay, what's a woman? Well anything you want it to be well that that can't hold up if it's everything then it's nothing and and that's actually where we're at now so it just becomes this very sort of convenient mask sometimes a victim sometimes not sometimes sometimes in a male body sometimes in a female body sometimes uh you know and 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 so there's this—this is an inherent contradiction, but uh, you see over and over again that people are—at least seem to be buying into it, although I also have a strong suspicion that a lot of people are sort of buying into it because there's public pressure to buy into it, and they may hold a different opinion if you got
0: them alone. Yeah, I I just—I can't imagine— a situation where every woman in America that wants to fight for the modern feminist movement is not looking at the transgender movement and just calling it out for what it is. I mean, it is yeah. counterproductive and counterintuitive, Concerning what, uh, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, it is counterproductive and counterintuitive to what they ultimately want to do. It is that the transgender movement is a slap in their face, yes. uh, but the ignorance uh, of uh, this uh, movement is being really exposed right now.
2: Look, not not to bring it back to me and my personal experience, but I can just tell you if I'm saying I'm a feminist now, that's a that's a wake up call for me. That's really is look how in your face aggressive this this culture is right now that I'm going, you know yeah. what, changing my tune on this. I'm not a third wave feminist, but I'll, I'll claim that label because I'm that frustrated with what's happening in, in the tearing down of women. Yeah. But we see it we see it everywhere. I mean, there's what is a woman? You you have people that are in high levels of government that won't answer that question. Yeah. Why? And it's not because of the issue of of gender or sexuality. It's because of objective truth. We have a
0: justice in the highest court of the land that refuses to answer that question before Congress. (laughs)
1: In fact, she said, I can't answer that question because I'm not a biologist, which is absurd that you can't define male or female unless you're a biologist. But also an interesting admission that, in her view— It's a biological question. Even that is enough to get you canceled, but uh, it was overlooked because she was appointed by the right people at the right time.
2: Well, and I think all this comes down to what's convenient in the moment for the argument you're making at that moment. I mean, and that's when you have relative truth and there's no definitive truth, you can do that. You can get away with it.
0: Absolutely. I I just think it's important for us, whether it be here at the City of God podcast or the church in general in North America, just to expose uh, just... How laughable this whole thing is in the 21st century, because the LGBTQ movement is actually destroying the arguments and anything that the modern feminist movement has worked to advance in our nation. And and just we sit back. I mean, I'm reminded of Psalm 2, uh, where you know that the nations are raging against God and God's design and God's plan for the world. And what 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 does the psalmist tell us? That God just sits up in the heavens and he laughs. I mean it is at some level just laughable to see them on the one hand advance feminism, modern feminist movement, women's rights, but on the same breath, they'll defend the trans movement and the LGBTQ movement that's actually counterintuitive, as I said before, and counterproductive to anything that they have wanted to advance over the last few decades.
2: No, absolutely. And I, I think what's so interesting to me also is you have individuals like Caitlyn Jenner, who you would think would come out and be all four trans athletes saying, no, actually women should be playing women's sports. And so there again, I'm going that I, I I appreciate the stance that women should play in women's sports, but how, how are you logically coming up with that? You know? And so this conversation, sometimes I feel like, am I the only one that, that understands what's going on here? Am I in some, like, alternate universe? Or oh, some- it's, it's
0: it's Twilight Zone. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's it, a house of cards. It does. It makes you feel like you're losing your mind. I guess that's what we call it now gaslighting, Where, uh, but you're made to feel insane for holding to what are, are just basic and obvious truths. You know, Lauren, I'm not a woman, uh, and, and so tell me your perspective on this, but it seems to me that it would be deeply offensive, this idea that— uh, that that womanhood is something so amorphous and something so sort of ephemeral that it's not really anything that we can put our finger on, it's just something that someone in any kind of body may decide to be at some point. Uh, when you're actually concerned about what happens to women, uh, to me, that's offensive. I mean, women's sports, why do we actually have women's sports? Why does women's sports even exist? The purpose of women's sports even existing is because of a basic recognition that men and women are different and that on an even playing field, the average woman cannot compete with the average man on a physical level. So we have women's sports so that they can actually compete and enjoy competition. And then we're wiping that away by saying, well, anything is a woman, anybody is a woman, as long as they say they are. From a man's perspective, that's deeply offensive to me. I can imagine as a woman who actually has a life to live, how, how, stunning that would be
2: yeah you use the word offensive and i i don't know if i'm going to say yes i agree with you or no i don't and and the reason being is i don't find my identity in my gender I don't find my identity in my sexuality. My identity is in Christ, and my identity is just who Lauren Cooley is. I'm just me. I, I guess I could give you a gr- description on who I am. You know, I'm Caucasian. I'm a female. I'm an American. You know, all those types of things. So and that maybe that's why I'm not, like, naturally gravitating towards being like, oh, yeah, the feminist movement, because I'm a female. And when I wake up in the morning, like, I put on my, my pink female shirt. And, like, that's just not me. <laughs> However, the implications and the way that— all of this is going to impact my life and my future children's lives and generations to come, yeah, that's offensive. Like, what's offensive to me is the concept that if I go play sports at the local gym and I walk into a locker room and there's going to be a man in there, like, that's offensive to me. Not necessarily because it's an attack on me as a woman, but just why on earth am I going to encounter that? that, And nobody's going to speak out against it. And so I think one of the things that I've found... And I've talked to a lot of friends that have kind of gone through a similar journey. It's really empowering to just say the truth. Like there's so many people that sit there and go, I don't know. It's a lot easier to put my personal pronouns in my email signature at work and people will mm-hmm. leave me alone. But I disagree with it. But it is what it is. Speak out. Just say it. Say, nope, that's not true. This is what the word of God says. Say it in love and in grace. But why don't we speak out against it? it yeah. And And... and I'm not looking to anyone else to do it. I'm not looking to men to protect women's sports. Women, why aren't we saying what's going on here? And we've seen great examples of female athletes, um, Olympic athletes, uh, very successful college athletes speaking out. And I think that that's the start of what we might see to come.
0: Yeah. I I appreciate you saying we need to speak out. The problem is we have pastors and Christian thought leaders in North America. And and I'm not talking about Christian thought leaders and pastors from your mainline denominational Mm -hmm. churches. These are in evangelical churches. I just heard it the other day, a Christian thought leader, I'm not going to mention his name, uh, but said that we should be practicing pronoun hospitality in our workplace. And what he meant by that is, if it's a biological male, but he insists on being called a woman, that we need to honor that. Um, So here you have evangelical Christian thought leaders telling their readers, their audiences, and their congregations to practice uh, pronoun hospitality, to embrace uh, this movement, uh, whether it be the LGBTQ movement, uh, the modern feminist movement, and and we need more Christians that say no, even when they hear their pastors say that, no. God defines our gender, God defines our sexuality, um, and that's the truth by which we uh, stand upon.
1: It seems to me, that there is a key distinction there too, and this is—you're so right, Rob—that this is something that pastors need to be leading their people on because a name is one thing. You know, Bruce Jenner versus Caitlyn Jenner. Okay, he changed his name to Caitlyn. Well, people change their names all the time. Uh, w- women often change their names when they get married. We, you know, a name is not some sacrosanct thing. So names can be changed, and and there's not necessarily anything wrong with using the name that somebody prefers to go by. Um, but using the pronoun now, you're. Dealing with their design, now you're dealing with an identification that God has given them, not human beings, and that's where you know, I used the term offended before. Uh, I you're in the same way. I don't wake up and my first thought is I'm a man. I'm going to go do manly things. I, I uh, you know, which uh, most of which I'm pretty bad at anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, even a hammer, I, I I don't know which end of it to use. But uh, yeah, I don't wake up and do that either. But but by the same token, there is something about our our. Sex, that is very high on the hierarchy of the identifiers that God creates us with. You know, as he creates in the garden, it doesn't say he made some accountants, he made some builders, he made some... But it does say he made them male and female. That's a key God-given distinction, and so God loves womanhood God loves femininity and as and God loves manhood and and masculinity and keeping those two things straight is, is something that is 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 vitally important uh, all of that is more of a of a speech than a than a question but uh, I, I think that it, it gets us back to ultimately this thing that we're talking about which is um it, it often it, and I think there's a generational thing here. There's this desire to sort of remove all categories. Um, you know that the, the postmodern movement doesn't want to label things. It, it's a, it's wor- uh, wary of meta narratives, overarching stories, and and but as you take labels off things, if you as you take definitions off things, uh, you're not making things better. You're making them worse. You're just turning everything into a big goo, a big soup, uh, and 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 ultimately, it seems to me that makes you sort of. Uh, ripe for control, uh, for somebody to basically tell you what to do and to run things for you. How do, how do you see that uh, generationally as a 30-year-old woman, this sort of fear of putting labels on anything?
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's a don't put a label on me mentality of like, you do you, I'm distinctly me. However, there's also this ability to at the same time, like gravitate towards these cultural trends like, oh I'm a I'm a, a boss babe or a girl boss <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Right. I so it, it's kinda interesting because it goes back to what I said. When it's convenient, don't don't put a label on me. When it's convenient, oh this is my label and this is a part of my tribe, right? And so I it when you talk about like this amorphous goo of, you know, we can't define anything if we're using definitions or we're using descriptors to show what the, the truth is, I think that makes sense. If we're using definitions, we're using descriptors to divide, then it becomes dangerous. And so we had talked about um, how tran- the trans movement is infiltrating into the feminist movement. But we even see the trans movement infiltrating into the LGBT movement. Movement, right? There's a there's a question about well, there's gay men who say we're nothing like trans men or women. Why are we being pushed together into this one group? And so I think there's it's just there's descriptors when descriptors are helpful. There's no description and no no category, no defining label when that's helpful. Um, and. Look, it comes down to modern language. Like this is mm-hmm. how we communicate. And so if you strip away all these words, you change the meaning of words. You get into a 1984 George Orwell yeah. situation. And that goes back to when we were talking about how like what's the point of this feminist movement? I really do think it is to fundamentally change the way that the country operates, our government, our politics, our culture.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. Well, as we wrap up this conversation, let's give our audience some hope and let's mm-hmm. give them some biblical perspective as as we move forward in the modern Feminist movement. I think it's important uh, to remember a few things. Uh, we we need to remember uh, to be on the lookout and have ears and minds of discernment, uh, that when we hear things and see things, uh, that we really are able to operate with a spirit of wisdom. Um, We are living in a day where good is called evil and evil is called good, and we need to be equipped as the people of God. So when USA Today, for instance, uh, this year honored their uh, 2023 uh, Woman of the Year recipient, uh, we we know that it was a biological male. And so we need to be on the lookout for those things and, and for parents and grandparents to sit down with their children and go, this is wrong. No, this is, here's an example of a society or a culture calling good evil and evil good. And, and we need to be on the lookout for these things. I think we also need to have a, a Daniel mindset. Uh, in Daniel chapter 1, uh, when they brought the, the noble youths from Jerusalem into Babylon, what did they do? They gave them the language of the Babylonians. Uh, they, they gave them new names which mm-hmm. meant new identity. It was, it was an example of a government defining names and identity instead of God. And so I think they're, they're great teachable moments for the next generation. This is what's happening in our culture, that, that, that the government does not have the right, no, no movement has the right to redefine identity and, and, and define who we are, but, but God alone defines our name. And look what Daniel did. We need to raise up the next generation of Daniels uh, that are able to stand on God's word, stand on God's truth. We need to be also uh, mindful that it's, it's the biblical definition of manhood and womanhood that actually elevates men and women. Uh, we want to talk about women's rights. We need to go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 elevates and honors women. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. Yes. The image of God in all people is what ultimately gives men and women dignity, value, and worth. we want to talk about true equality, it's that we are all created in God's image. I like what you said before. The reason you're not offended is because I'm not defined by my gender. I'm ultimately defined of who I am in Christ. And we need to be having these conversations with the next generation. You want equality, you want rights, you want dignity and value. It's found in God's truth. It's found in the reality and the hope that we are created in his image, in Christ, that image is recreated in his image and in his likeness. And uh, that, uh, for me, it's an incredible time to be a Christian. It's an incredible time to be alive, uh, but also a critical time for us to embrace and double down on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And so, well, thank you both for an incredible conversation. Probably we'll have part two, I would imagine, where we're continuing to pick this uh, topic apart. And part three and part, <laughs> part 4 <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again for listening to the City of God podcast. If this podcast, which is uh, produced in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture, was helpful for you today, please pass it along to friends and family as we together are navigating uh, today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. We will see you next time and may God richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture.